Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Today, Bridget Griffin shared a video of her daily yoga routine, two self-help articles, and her new blog called Build Your Inner Bridge with Bridge. Girl, your sharing has turned into oversharing. No worries, Bridge. Geico has some info worth sharing with your seven blog followers, like how you could save money on your car insurance, update your policy, and report a claim just by visiting geico.com. How's that for building your inner bridge? Bridge, Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Love Talk Radio. I'm your host, Barbara Tahuti Wesley Gray, speaking to you live from New York City. And again, it's indeed my pleasure this evening to share with you uh, the various books that we review, uh, the topic of discussions that we have uh, concerning spirituality, our culture, and also the essence of us as an African community throughout the African diaspora. Uh, as always, I begin each show by paying homage to the One Most High, to our ancestors, to my lovely wife, to my dear mother, uh, and to all of my siblings, my daughter and siblings, and all of you who are friends of mine throughout the cyber world, and also those of you who know me personally in the flesh throughout the years. I give thanks to all of you. As always, we are uh, excited to present those books which are deemed to be worthy of uh, the digestion of, especially those of us of African descent, and of course, indeed, throughout the world of all ethnicities. But specifically, we're excited about uh, this book titled uh, Natural Psychology and Human Transformation by Dr. Naeem Akbar. Uh, a book that he wrote uh, some years ago, I think it was about 1994 or so, uh, somewhere around that date and time. And, of course, he's known throughout the world. As a matter of fact, uh, he's one of the most highly acclaimed uh, psychologists of African descent uh, in the world. And basically what he does, he, he presents... A, a, another uh, aspect of psychology, in other words, uh, he dovetails the essence of African, the African experience, because uh, as many of you know, the psychological mandates that we have in our society, mainly in the Western Hemisphere, is not really conducive uh, for the uh, uh, being able to dissect and to analyze and, and to correct whatever malforms um, uh, ill-formed information and also challenges, psychological challenges that we may have, those of us of African descent. There's a special need to have uh, people such as Dr. 
Akbar and his uh, colleagues to uh, give that particular uh, specific service to those of us who are in need, and also to teach uh, the knowledge that, that is prevalent within that particular circle of expertise. So without any further ado, I will delve into the uh, natural psychology of human transformation by Dr. Akbar, and he talks about the society and the butterfly. Traditional teachers of wisdom, as well as the divine scriptures of revelation, I've always pointed to nature as the language of the divine mind. And he goes on to say that the people of ancient Kemet, called Egypt, actually referred to this language of the divine as natur, natur is from which the word nature is derived. And the guidance of, this, of these ancient teachers suggests that we look at the process of rising and setting sun, uh, the processes of the rising and setting sun, the growth and life cycles of trees and flowers, the lives of insects and other animals, we can find divine direction for human lives. What is built into the natural processes of life are actually instructions for how man can effectively develop himself consistent with the divine format for his existence. There is, in the study of nature, a statement about growth, development, life, and death of man. And this unique quality of womb man is that he must discover with his consciousness the path which his development must take. Let me repeat that. The unique quality of woe slash man, woe man, is that he or she must discover with his or her consciousness the path which he, uh, which his or her development must take. And in this process, he or she is actually the handicapped being of creation and that he or she does not automatically know and follow his nature. The human being, though, is also the master of nature and that, and I will just imply that when I say he, I'm implying she as well, uh, that he can discover and select to perfect his nature consistent with the creative power of the divine. Nature contains so many keys to the understanding of our proper functioning, growth, and yes, even our downfall. Therefore, we are compelled to understand something about the world in which we live. The world in which we live is a book of pictures laid out for those who never learn the meaning of words. It is a book that is open wide for those who do not have an extensive vocabulary. And indeed, that's one of the reasons why uh, I decided to, to have this show, to create this show, uh, to facilitate those who are not able to read, those who do not have access to books such as the books that we review, and uh, those who may be invalid, have poor eyesight. You know, I'm looking to facilitate those who have uh, some type of uh, shortcoming in terms of access to knowledge such as this. But I go on to say by saying that Naeem Akbar states that, in fact, even the infant, through its senses, can almost immediately begin to read and internalize this book of the natural world. Humanity's very first divine book is the book of nature. And this divine book must be approached with respect and humility. However, 
Nature cannot be approached with the desire to abuse or to exploit. Neither can we approach nature with an attitude of idolatry, thinking that the processes revealed in her is in fact divinity itself. We look to nature because, as a tool of the divine, she points to the truth called mayat by the ancient Kemetic people. Nature is a part of the creation which emanates from the creator. And through revelation and the tradition of our human ancestors, there is evidence that much of man's social, technical, and spiritual development has been modeled on the images of nature. We are taught that if we study what nature does, we can get a message about what humans should be doing in order to keep their nature properly aligned with the natural processes. So in this discussion, we want to look at only one of these highly instructive processes in nature. It is a process that we find throughout nature with a consistent occurrence, which makes it clear that it must be an essential part of the map for understanding the realities of human existence. And this process is one of transformation. It has clear applicability to human and social growth, it is probably most vividly portrayed in the nature of the butterfly. The butterfly lays an egg. It is fertilized. Within the confines, the confines of the egg is the male and female butterfly's contribution to the nature and future of life form. In fact, the egg contains in a coded form the entire ancestral contribution to this new life. All of the contributions from thousands of years of evolution are contained in this microscopic egg. And at this point, the egg is not actually a life, but it is potential life. It is an on-born life, a fertile and gifted life. The path which takes its potential life to actual life is a process of growth or transformation. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that my wife is walking to the studio. How you doing, hon? I'm doing great. I'm listening. I, I love the book that you're reading. Yes, isn't it a fascinating book? Yes. And, and it's a good read. You know, it's 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 a small book, you know, only about, what, uh, 50 pages approximately. But within these 50 pages is so much in content that's relevant to understanding the nature of life. And I like what he talks about when he gets into transformation. You know, that's something that we're constantly going through. It's not, you know, something we talk about a lot, right? Yes. Um, what I find also fascinating about uh, what Dr. Akbar writes, uh, what he wrote, actually, in this book, is that everything that I'm reading is applicable to today. We're indeed, as a group of people, going through a transformation. And uh, earlier today, I was sharing with my wife, I had an aha moment, that indeed there's some of us who are, like the butterfly, uh, starts out as a caterpillar, and that we're caterpillars, many of us, not even aware of the eventual result of us turning into butterflies, being able to soar and, and beauty and, and to uh, be part of this delicate, uh, miraculous existence called life. And then some of us are inside a cocoon, and then... Uh, where it feel as if that's our existence, you know, and the cocoon can be an enclosed place, and it can be kind of maybe frightening or it could be comforting. 
And then, of course, we come out of the cocoon into becoming a butterfly. And there's few, there's many of us who are butterflies, using that particular metaphor. That's true. You know, there are many people who no fault of their own, who don't have a vision, mm-hmm. and that's why they remain as caterpillars. Mm. They don't have a vision. They don't believe that something different is available to them. Mm-hmm. Some people will act. Some people don't have hope. They don't have a vision. And they don't have that belief. And you can tell in ordinary conversations when someone might compliment another person and say, oh, so-and-so, you know, got their college degree. Or this person got married. Or this person moved into a new home. Or or this person uh, regained their health. And then they'll actually tell you. Sometimes you don't have to ask. People will actually tell you. And that's great for them, but... Nothing good like that would happen to me. Mm, mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. say those things to me all the time. Yeah, they don't yeah. have the hope. They don't have the belief. They mm-hmm. don't have the vision. They don't have the knowledge. And it's not their fault. No, it's not. It's not their fault. Mm-hmm. And that's where the enlightenment comes in. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's something uh, that's so prevalent within certain communities. Uh, people don't have the hope, don't have the uh, foresight, and um, all they need is a little bit of encouragement and compassion, and actually they need love. And that love can manifest in so many ways. But one of the things is not to leave them at a state that they are in and also to be able to um, contribute to assisting them in their transformation of consciousness. And that is the mission of those of us who declare that we're light workers mm-hmm. or that we're ministers or whatever or whatever spiritual or helping title that we may either be designated by someone else or that we go through the studies and decide that we want to assist others, that that is the work. Mm-hmm. And it's about throwing away the title, so not throwing away but putting aside the title, let go of the ego, lay down the title and do the work. There's mm. a lot of work. Absolutely. There are millions and millions of people without hope, belief, or vision. And it's generational. Ah, yeah. It gets passed on from one generation to the other. It can be generational. And I think, well, I'm just I'm very optimistic that we're going into the uh, beginning. There's a paradigm shift happening in our communities, especially where um, the generation that we we're so concerned about the younger generation mm-hmm. that they are beginning to realize that we as elders, the teachers, are there yes. and we are concerned. Yes. And I think that we're now readjusting, we're aligning ourselves so that there can be this connection and thus, thusly the information can be shared. Those of us who genuinely have the information. Absolutely. We have quite a few people who. Uh, you might have alluded to earlier, who were imposters, or, in, for lack of a better term, are incompetent. And not even necessarily imposters or incompetent, but many times people uh, people tend to forget that it's about the work. Mm-hmm. And they may have the ability. 
but they're so busy running to a press conference to have their name being recognized. Or, you know, there are many capable people, but somewhere along the way, they sometimes get lost in the illusion and with the ego. Yes. They get lost in the illusion. Yeah, yeah. That's so true. Well, let's just continue here with um, what Brother uh, Naeem uh, relates to in terms of the butterfly, Mm -hmm. that the butterfly lays an egg, the egg is fertilized, and within the confines of the egg is the male and the female butterfly's contribution to the future life form. In fact, uh, the egg contains in a coded form the entire ancestral contribution to this new life. And all of the contributions from thousands of years of evolutions are contained in this microscopic egg. And at this point, the egg is not actually life, but it is potential life. It is an unborn life, but a fertile and gifted life. And the path which takes this potential life, its actual life, uh, is a process of growth or what we call transformation. And the key to the realization of the hidden potential found in the microscopic egg is its destiny to unfold through the equally divine mechanism of growth. And in fact, it is the very nature of this life processes to grow, but it must have the proper growth environment in order to realize its potential. So after a few weeks and under the right conditions, the egg begins to open, and careful observation reveals that it doesn't really open, but rather dissolves or disintegrates into another form. And for a brief period of this disintegration, it is of a rather nondescript form, changing rapidly as occurs with all the decay processes in what appears to be death. In any event, in rather short order, this bubbly, dissolving, formless blob becomes a worm-looking creature with well-defined structures and mobility. This new creature, and what we affectionately refer to as a hairy worm, the curiosity continues, though because this egg that was laid by a beautiful adult butterfly that comes into life, not in the appearance of his lovely, colorful, celestial parent, but as a creepy, crawly, slimy, hairy worm known as a caterpillar. This newly developed creature bears absolutely no resemblance to the parent of its origin. There is certainly no evidence that this creature has any of the gifts which we have argued lay hidden in the codes of the egg which initiated its form and its life form. It in no way resembles a butterfly. Even the worm's own mother would look at it in disbelief and declare, oh no, this cannot be my child (laughs) because it bears no resemblance to me. But as we shall see, such a mother would be one with limited vision to disown her own yet unfamiliar offspring on such a superficial basis. In fact, such a mother would have had to have lost sight of her own history in order to make such a claim. So that reminds me of, uh, I know every now and then I would walk down the streets. I remember when it first happened to me so uh, repulsively and alarmingly was when I was out in the Far Rockaway Beach and I'm on the boardwalk and I'm walking behind a mother and her child. 
young mother. She must have been in her 30s. And the child was doing something that was irritating her, and she just let, let, let out a tirade of, of curse words, you know, trying to recommend the child and to teach it, as it were. So I thought of this as I'm reading this particular paragraph that uh, Brother Akbar is sharing with us about the fact that, indeed, uh, even the worm's own mother would look at it in disbelief and declare, oh, no, this can't be my child. That mother is speaking to that child as if she's not the mother or the father, for that matter, who does that to children or his child, not realizing that, indeed, that child represents who she is and, and the highest aspect that she would want to be recognized with respect. Because everyone wants some type of respect, unless you're really dealing with a neurosis or a psychosis, you know, low self-esteem, etc. So... That's something to be said. Uh, we need to uh, just to continue with that thread of thought that we have music in our communities where there's cursing, where there's uh, 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 hate and, and um, disparaging words, um, my sister's next stick type of uh, um, uh, lyrics against women and bullying, and a host of things that are antisocial and uh, unspiritual that we are led to think it's okay for us to listen to and to purchase the, the records and recordings and videos and so forth. And we don't realize the fact that all of us, as this expression goes, it takes a village to raise a child. So even though someone may be uh, an adult, chronologically, by age, they're over 18, you know, and they're legally considered to be adults. We have many amongst us who are in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, my God, I dare say in our 70s or above, who are still limited in their development. So those of us who are developed and mature and have the capacity to be parents need to step up to the plate, need to indeed do whatever is necessary to place those souls and those um, people in our village in check, do it out of a, a state of love and compassion, but they indeed have to be placed in check. So the hairy worm, so that what accounts for the move from the storage house of the egg to becoming a distasteful-looking hairy worm? The worm has a story to tell us uh, and does every other component of nature. The worm has an important function and an important tell to tell about our development as human beings as well. The worm has a very crucial function for the life of the insect. Firstly, it establishes the foundation for the survival of this life form. The caterpillar has one essential function, and that is to feed. Its function is exclusively that of a physical entity. It has no celestial function. And it has no physical beauty to show. It has no social and no reproductive function. It is selfish, greedy, and all consumed by its physical function of feeding itself. And this worm is consumed by con consumption, and it wants to eat all of the time. In fact, it doesn't even sleep, but eats throughout the night and day. 
The caterpillar crawls among the leaves and eats, eats, eats. And in fact, with a few caterpillars present, an entire tree can actually be stripped of its leaves in a matter of days. They eat large multiples of their body uh, weight in the course of a day. And the major concern of the worm is uh, feeding the physical being. His business is exclusively physical business. His very form and his natural orientation is to effectively take care of the job of the physical and material needs of the entity which is coming forth. And as a result of so much eating, the little hairy worm begins to grow rapidly. And in a few days, it sheds one layer of skin and another layer of skin, and larger, more developed it comes. And it eventually emerges to the point that it's very large, and it isn't long before it is as big, fat, hairy worm. And though its unsightly form continues, the worm is growing and developing consistent with its nature. Interestingly enough, even with its amazing appetite and capacity for consumption, the caliputter does not eat indiscriminately. Its distinct nature directs it to the proper leaves with the proper nutrition to feed its growth in the most appropriate way. Its choices are clocked into its nature consistent with the best instruction of its ancestral worms. Guided by the divine nature of its own growth, instinctively it stays away from those things which are not conducive to its growth and survival. The divine nature of this being propels him towards those things that are necessary for its proper growth and effective development. Because he consumes well and correctly, he expands materially and becomes very successful as a physical being. So that leads me to, uh, to this pause for a moment, and we will be continuing next week, actually during the course of the week. But I stop here as he makes this, meta, this analogy of the caterpillar being very selective of what it eats so that it can grow uh, and, and as effectively and instinctively as its ancestral codes have been embedded into it. Again, those of us of African descent, which is what this book is addressing, uh, our people, and, and is that we have been conditioned to stray away from eating the proper foods, from consuming the proper foods and, 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 and drinks and, and not breathing properly, not getting sufficient sleep and rest, um, not speaking with impeccable words, dealing with the four agreements, you know, it's conditioned to gossip, to make assumptions, to take things personally, to uh, not do our best, to try to uh, shy away from doing what is expected of us when we shake hands in a contract. You know, we have taken in the lifestyle of an unhealthy um, being, as it were. We're not being healthy caterpillars, as, as, as the analogy goes, so that indeed when we go into our cocoon state and we've done all the work and nourished our bodies the way we should, uh, and that's uh, analogous to when you're a, uh, a toddler, a baby, a toddler, uh, then you become a teenager and you're going to school, you know, all the uh, uh, prerequisite uh, uh, levels of education, getting your college degree, as it were, many of us, far too many of us who have the blessings of, of getting an education, we come out of that environment consuming um, 
uh, food and other consumptions that we take which are not healthy. And we wonder why we have a problem. Number one, you're not able to ascertain or to lock into the divine purpose that you were born so that you can really be a full service to yourself and your family and to our community and, and to mankind as a whole because we haven't followed the instructions. Or if we didn't have the instructions, we didn't inquire. Or if we know that indeed if you're not doing the right thing, if you're not eating the right foods, you're going to get an upset uh, tummy. You know, your stomach is going to get, get upset. You're not going to feel right. You're not getting enough sleep. You're going to feel drowsy, drowsy and, and just unbalanced. And you know then there's something wrong. And what, do you, what does one do when you know there's something wrong? You seek assistance. You seek help. But unfortunately, we have a condition where the people who we seek to get help from they also are experiencing a deficit in terms of their health. So there's a lot to say about that, and I hope that we can just inspire there to be a conversation throughout uh, our circle, um, our homes, uh, circle of friends and colleagues and associates, so that indeed we all can individually and collectively experience a healthy transformation. So that's it for evening, and as always, I end as I begin by giving homage to the One Most High, uh, to our ancestors, to my lovely wife, to my mother, and to all of my siblings, my daughter and her family, and to all of my friends, I give uh, thanks to you for tuning in and sharing your love and energy with us this evening. And of course, those of you know that you can always go to the archives and access uh, this recording. Um, be sure to visit my websites at drumsofchange.com and also uh, healthisalwayswealth.com. I would encourage you to go to those sites. We have uh, books and drums for purchase as well as uh, health information in the site titled Health is Always Wealth. Until then, I bid you farewell. Assalamu alaikum. Shalom. All my relations, Hetepu, Alasia, peace, love, namaste.
Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Earlier this week, Claire Tippins shared a princess nickname generator, three pictures of her dog wearing a tutu, and two online quizzes, including what candy is your dream castle made of? Claire, your sharing has tipped the sugar scale and turned into oversharing. But have no fear, princess. Geico has something worth sharing with your internet kingdom, like how you can save hundreds on your car insurance just by visiting geico.com. No magic wand required. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. 